0: Welcome to Masters of Color, brought to you by lowpost.com and ravengrade.com. I'm your host, Cullen Kelly, and my guest today is Aurora Gordon, senior colorist at Arsenal Effects Color. Rory is one of the most thoughtful and knowledgeable colorists I know, and in addition to her extensive resume, grading shows like The Tick, Bones, and Counterpart, she's also a published author and image scientist with some fascinating ideas about the way we create and experience motion images. We have got a great conversation in store for you today. This episode is sponsored by PixelView.io, an affordable streaming solution for editors and colorists. It's an all-in-one solution that just works. Simply plug in the encoder and start streaming. Your client can watch directly from their web browser for a quick review or they can download the iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV app for a more color accurate experience. You can use promo code master to get a 15% discount on a hardware encoder at pixelview.io. And now let's get to my conversation with Aurora Gordon. Rory.
1: Hey, Colin.
0: Good morning to you.
1: Good morning to you. How you doing?
0: All is good. How's it going with you? (laughs)
1: pretty solid. You know, it's been a beautiful weekend.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining me this morning. I'm so excited uh, to, to talk color stuff with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Likewise.
0: Yeah. So, you know, one of the reasons that, that I wanted to uh, have this chat with you is in addition to being An incredibly uh, accomplished colorist doing like awesome work for a bunch of really great TV shows for Lovecraft Country and Counterpart, Waco, The Good Doctor, The Tick, all these awesome shows. Um, You're one of the smartest people about our craft in terms of talking about it and moving the craft forward and thinking about new frontiers like HDR and kind of like where we're going next. Uh, And you just have a really interesting way of communicating about these things and that's extended uh now into authoring several papers that i'm aware of Um, Uh,
1: thank you yeah
0: (laughs) yeah so i i I just am so excited to hear you talk about not only your practice as a colorist but uh some of the ideas and concepts that you've developed and uh share with our community over the last several years
1: yeah for sure i mean they're definitely connected um i feel like uh indulging in a side of my brain that's very very analytical um, and indulging in calculations (laughs) you know like the joy of um, the the joy of understanding the machine is equal to the joy of understanding the soul and the purpose of being in the room and the purpose of the story of the color itself Um, I feel like I can enjoy them separate very separately um but they feed into each other like when I've had a day where it's like I really want to you know get in under the hood of this thing and understand like what is what's this function doing um then the next time I go into the bay I'm like oh I did, you know all this groundwork has been laid in this precise way and now I just get to like turn on my you know, my creative brand just like fly because I have such confidence in the processes that have been, that are the building blocks of the the tool that I'm using. And I think I'm less frustrated when things crash and go wrong too. When I, <laughs> yeah. having, having a, you know, having knowledge of like, okay, all right. So the threads are caught up right now because I hit enter like three yep. times because I'm <laughs> you know, like,
0: well, I know exactly what you mean and, and uh, I feel very much the same way and our sort of like intermittent one-off uh, little like chats that we'll exchange about topics like like both of us that when we go down these rabbit trails of like, how do I, what, what is that doing? How do I understand that better? And I really enjoy our intermittent chats where, I, where one of us will ping the other and it's clear that one of us is on such a mission of like, I want to get a little further under the skin of what's going on with this thing or that thing. It's, yeah, I, I totally yeah.
1: Feel- I trust people that ask questions, you know, I trust people that are like, I don't understand this. That makes me just inherently gravitate towards people. I think you're one of those folks as well. That's like, "Uh, I don't understand this. And you know what, I just haven't done it yet. So I want to learn about it.
0: Yeah, no, it's so true. I was just talking with uh, some students yesterday about it's not unique to our craft as colorists. It's anybody doing anything. One of the biggest barriers to growth and to maturing in our field is when there's this pressure to know stuff already or to appear to know stuff as opposed to just being sort of perpetually curious, as you say, and being fully willing to cop to like, I'm not sure I do understand that. Or like, I thought I did, but maybe there's more to it than uh, I uh, was quite getting before this. So like, let's figure it out. You know, like it's such a fun part of the journey if you let it be.
1: Yeah, truly the, the, the best, most talented, most expert, most disciplined people I know are always the ones to say, I don't know, let me think about that or look that up first.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, so I wanna start at the beginning and then we're gonna go off into outer space really fast because I've got so many questions to ask you. Cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> so let's, let's start with the basics. How did you learn your craft? How did you get into color? How did you pick up your skills?
1: Yeah, um, so I went to Rochester Institute of Technology. Um, I almost got into, I almost, I got in first to their digital science, uh, I think it was called digital cinema program, and now I think it's motion picture and science, um, and then, but then I also got into the film school, and that's like always such a funny fork in the road to me to think back like, oh, I, you know, I got a BFA at RIT, but there's there's a like an alternate reality universe where I'm running around with a BS instead. I mean, I'm running around with BS <laughs> no matter what.
0: <laughs> is that um, what your counterpart is doing right now?
1: <laughs> my counterpart is like, you know, just running around, just uh, building building models left and right. <laughs> I think it's also very happy. It's like I think a, a little bit of a superpower to both love uh, analysis and. Inspiration equally because it's yes, like, oh, I could be happy, and that's so. When I to to get back to like my path, um my biggest uh, the, the the I think the biggest fork for me getting into you know I always loved color. Um, I I had a basement dark room when I was you know a kid in Oklahoma, um, and and I was I was just talking to somebody else about this recently. Actually, my dad my grandfather and my great grandfather were all all jewelers. Um, And so that involves rating diamonds for clarity and color. Um, So that isn't like, I do think that there's some sort of like family proclivity towards being interested in light, especially because, you know, not the most important thing in diamonds actually before color is cut because that changes how the light is refracted inside the stone. Um, so yeah, I mean like the a good cut will make a stone really shine. Um, and I'm saying this like I've had any like (laughs) in gemology. I've never, I've never worked in a jewelry store aside from, you know, like cleaning out my dad's closets when I was a child. Um, (laughs) but anyway, I do, you know, I've always been, I love light as a medium, I think. Um, And uh, so, you know, when I went to RIT, I took a lot of uh, uh, photo, material, and processes classes, um, and I took a little bit of color classes. I, you know, I I just didn't, at that point, I certainly didn't realize it was quite a career path that was like, oh, that's definitely something I can get into. Um, RIT is also right up near Kodak, so I had the Pleasure of working on one of the Kodak Vision 3 test shoots, and you know, got to chat with the engineers. One of the chemical engineers, that, you know, talked to me about grain structure, and that was such an incredible oh shoot. God. Like, also, Fred Murphy shot that. So, like, at the same time at the at the wrap party, I was talking to this engineer, and during the shoot, like, you know, he like gave me a little aton a minima, and we're like, here, run around and do some like behind the scenes stuff. And Fred Murphy's like, here, like, you want to get your center of gravity low, and like, giving me, you know um uh feedback on like my my operating um uh but when i got to la i quickly realized i do not have the phenotype to be on set i'm not good at it i love imagery but man i cannot stand around for 12 hours (laughs)
0: um
1: and like you know i think being in a camera department part of that is like being being able to be like super calm and like every time anyone needs something like just like you know swipe in there and give it like an where it's an apple box or an eyebrow or some sort of piece of you know but I'm too like I can do that in post production in a dark room all day long but on set it was just like this doesn't this doesn't work for me so there was a dailies facility um that was looking uh for operators and I had on my resume as a joke for years uh superior color vision because I do have superior color vision one of the uh lab assignments at RIT was like here test your color vision with the Munsell cap test um and so I, you know, I had, had done that and the, the the guy that was hiring me saw like, oh, uh, your color vision and photography, are you interested in color at all? And I was like, yeah, you know, I think that could, yeah, I, that definitely. Um, and kind of immediately I was like, oh, this is an inroad. Um, this is, this is, this would, you know, if I do work nights for a while and sit in and shadow people, um, you know i I shadowed the guy that built uh mark sanford who built their uh dailies color facility and he was he's a, a video controller um so that's you know learning about signal um from somebody that has been in the business for 30 years uh just the actual processing of signal in addition to watching the color room set up i think gave me a pretty versatile like really solid base of like here are the concerns with digital imaging. Here are some of the really common pitfalls. Here's how you set up the workflow. Um, but, you know, I, I worked uh, eight months or so as a dailies operator, and at the same time was training on, on color. Um, and I just I just got a show. There was a DP that was like, you know, I, I think um, that, that came in and was like, yeah, I think I'm comfortable with you doing dailies color. Um, which is kind of dumb luck just to, you know, snare a, uh, a client like that. Um, but very quickly after that, uh, Randy Starnes at Colorworks, I was doing, my shows were being finished by him. And, uh, he was like, do you want to, um, do you want to come over so I can tell you everything that you're doing wrong? And I was yeah. like, oh, um yeah that would be great and was just really humble about everything um you know again like randy is somebody that has like years of experience on the creative side actually working with clients and keeping them happy and at the end of the day even though it is an extremely technical job the thing that matters is that they're happy with the way the picture looks so yeah i am i i I did dailies for uh, a few years um i think about five years um and then I've been a senior colorist for the last seven or so. Uh, no, that's not right. I mean, I was uh, uh, assisting with Randy and um, Larry at Arsenal for you know three or three three years or so, and then three or four years, and then uh, I I don't know. I always get so tied up in the one of those people that like I can't um, talk through a story (laughs) they'll get the timeline correct there's a lot of chapters (laughs) in there there's a lot there's a lot of chapters in there that's i try to tell the the most abridged version possible i love light that's the abridged (laughs) version and i was very eager to 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 learn a craft and just like you know i i'm just one of those people that like i love just showing up for a job and doing good work i think anything can be really a, a, a big beautiful piece of the puzzle um if you especially i think there's something about just the dedication to something specific and being being um narrow in your knowledge but very deep about it so that's i found uh i've just pushed towards the people that have let me do that
0: <laughs> oh how cool yeah what, one of my favorite expressions is that an expert is someone who knows more and more about less and less
1: yeah yeah for sure um,
0: And I I think there are so many interesting insights in uh, your thumbnail synopsis that you just gave us, including like embracing, you know, like both your analytical and your creative leanings, like from the very outset, it seems like you were kind of straddling both of those sides, like the scientific and the artistic or, you know, whatever, however you want to define that, what we typically think of as a dichotomy in this craft and what, I I know uh, that I, I, like you, share a feeling that they actually are symbiotic and feed off of one another. Um, So that seems like an amazing takeaway. Uh, The other one would just be like, that sounds like a pretty pivotal moment. The way you chose to reply to Randy when he said, hey, come over and I'm going to set you straight, that you were like, humble about it instead of like, who the hell is this guy? I'll figure it out all on my own. I got this. Like, I don't need anybody's help. Um, That seems like that was a pretty ended up being a pretty pivotal moment for your career since you're now working uh, with Randy and you've, you've learned so much from him and collaborated with him so much over the years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely, you know, now that I'm getting to the point where I'm working with the young people that are training and getting started, it's something that like, I think you can sense that about people pretty quickly. Um, you know, you can sense from someone like, Oh, they're, they're just really open to, um, questions or they're really open to, uh, the Socratic method. (laughs) Um, so it definitely, you know, it, I, am even, I think that it's always inspiring no matter if the person that you're talking to knows more than you or less than you. It's always, I think it just whooshes oxygen into the room when somebody is, you know, willing to talk about like, hey, I don't know about this thing, you know, it's just like somebody opens a window, and this flood of air comes in, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I've always done it this way, um, but you're right, I don't know the specifics, let me figure out why. Um, on the flip side, I do think that like, you know, it is, that can be, You to be very real, I don't think that, I think there's universes where folks see that the, the flexibility and the openness and the curiosity, and they take that as an opportunity to be like, Oh, but maybe you don't know as much as you do.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and I think especially, uh, you know, being, being, uh, being who I am, um, it can, it can be, it can set you back for a moment, but I really do think that like, as soon as people that are worth there that people who are really gifted and you know really really good folks that you want to be around long term in a, in a you know like working buddy situation they 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 see that as a strength
0: absolutely and i i can tell you i have never had the pleasure of uh sitting in a grade with you before but from the interactions i have had with you and from the opportunities i have had to watch you doing your thing or talking about the things that you're most passionate about and know best there's actually a natural authority that comes about after having done those like explorations, like month and month and year after year so that when it is go time and I know when you're in the room with your clients or when you're presenting or when the moment is time for decisive, the moment is there for decisiveness rather that's all, you're, you're able to summon that all the more readily because you have made those deep pondering explorations uh, at length leading up to those moments.
1: Yeah, I think because um, even on the technical side, you know, we like to think that like, oh yes, there's the technical, and then there's the creative. Well, I think that's a total misnomer because the technical is creative. You know, order of operations yes. makes a huge difference. Yes, the models. You know, just running software effectively. Um, it, it it makes a huge. It's it, it. Those are big. The way I look at it is that the the technical side is the, it's the. Kind of macro creative, like you're trying to design systems that do things well on a big level and prioritize the right part of the imaging chain to, to focus on. Um, a good example would be, uh, you know, in, I think in 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 a in a color gamut, we're talking about like choosing a color gamut or making sure that you're transform, you know, you've you've, you've mapped properly from from you're using a scene referred. Uh, workflow, making sure that you're going from your camera gamut to your, um, uh, display gamut, um, or, uh, uh, final encoding space, you, it's, it, you know, it's most important that skin tones look right, right? Like that's, yeah. that's number one. Um, yeah, there's cases where edge points can go in one direction or another, but that's like a that's a secondary piece of the conversation because we understand you know the the point of the engineering is to focus on the the piece that is the that 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 uh, buys you the most amount of uh, uh, relevant information first before you get into gamut edge points. You know what yes. I'm saying? And then on the creative side, the struggle to be creative is actually the opposite because you know you can say like, oh, I want to come up with this perfect grade that just like works all the time. But that's not, people don't shoot the same thing all the time. They shoot all sorts of different material. And I, I think that they cre- the artistic creative schema is more about the creativity of the small, where it's like, I made this choice in this scene because in this instance, this... Set- I, I,
0: I think you've, you've just given me a better sort of like thumbnail of what is that properly defined relationship between the creative and the technical that I've been able to come up with before. Or like the technical and the engineering stuff is macro level. Like what are the systems and decisions and solutions that we can implement? Like shot after shot, show after show, like project after project that are going to put us into the right realm. And then the creative is all about the localized, like, well, no, they shot that right. over a stop and a half on purpose and that should stick out or whatever the case right. may be.
1: Yeah. They wanted that grain or that noise right. or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I think it's like almost criminal to like refer to one as more <laughs> creative or more technical. I mean, there's a lot of tedium, you know, on the, on the art side, it's, you know, 600 to 900 shots in an hour long show and they all need to match um, in addition to looking good. So like, there's a lot of tedium with, making especially you know shows are just getting more and more ambitious i mean shoots are getting longer locations are more you know exotic it's just an incredibly um it just people expect a lot viewers expect a lot and i think that's also exciting um and, and also in terms of displays too i think that's you know people are like oh i think i i feel like i hear a lot from gearheads like like, oh, well, the viewers are just going to have everything set on vivid. But you know what? My 70-year-old mother in Oklahoma, like one year I went home for Christmas, and she was like, Laura, can you set this? Something's not right with this TV. And I was like, you're right, Mom. It's not. Let me." <laughs> something's wrong. You're right. Something's wrong. Like, they they know. And they, I think if you explain things like, hey, this greater contrast ratio means that it's not going to look washed out when your window curtains are open and your kids are running around turning on all the lights, like, that, and I think explaining it to, to folks like that, it's like, oh, yeah, that's really, you know, that's, that's, that's something that can improve my life, too, Um, but uh, it is, you know, because when you get caught up in the specifics, it's not, (laughs) like, you know, this is, uh, this system is superior because I made, you know, this very specific decision, it's like, no, it's, we're, we're trying to, improve the if you're trying to improve the viewing experience of everybody you have to look at what you know you have to explain like the the why i think underneath all of it whether it's the technical or the creative you know
0: absolutely and i I think you have to be able to do something that i've seen you do really well many times where you're able to zoom out and give the like like a simple cogent explanation of something to someone who's not an engineer or a technician or an artist and just say, Hey mom, this is why this is going to look look better in terms of image reproduction for you. And that's all like, you know, the, like everything underneath the surface there is being driven by your technical knowledge. And you could explain like the gamma target or the contrast ratio or whatever else under the hood that's driving that mechanism, but you're explaining it in a palatable way so that the person on the other end can actually understand and benefit from, those systems and that information.
1: Yeah, I really try to. I think that comes from, you know, I was told growing up like, you know, I you know, I'm a girl from Oklahoma, like like there, I've definitely been in several situations where people are like, "Well, what do you have any interest in math for, you pretty little thing?" and it's like, "Wow, I like I I mean, I love it. It's the language of the natural universe." And I was like, such a late bloomer i didn't i didn't take an advanced math course until i was like 23 years old (laughs) like i didn't i took as little math as possible in in high school um i didn't you know take pre-calc again until you know after after college at community college um but it you know i think that has always like really a really lit a fire under my ass to just any time someone is like, why do do I have to do this to never talk down to them and always explain, like, look, it's complex, but the pieces aren't hard. So let me explain it to you. And it's going to probably take me a moment to sort of ramp up to the big picture macro reason why this thing is the way it is. Um, But I will let you know when I'm at the important part of the story. But I do like when I'm explaining, you know, every time one of my friends gets a new TV, they're like, oh, you calibrate it for me. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't have my probe, but
0: Here's yeah. what I'm doing
1: here, and this. And I use this mode because I prefer to go down before I go up. And then, like, it's, you know, and then I, I, I always have to preface it with, like, okay, I'm going to do the, I'm going to, I can't stop myself from doing a little bit of the technical part, but I will kind of ring a bell when I'm ready for you to listen to the, it's <laughs> important. I just, you know, and that it's also true, the more you explain the basics, the better you get it yourself, right? Like, if you tell yourself, oh, like, no, I don't need to explain you know, like, well, you should just understand this. It's like, yeah, but do you remember? Because when was the last time? <laughs> when yes. was the last time you actually like, looked at a gamma curve? Like what it actually looks like? What's the difference between a gamma curve and a power law? You know, like,
0: yeah,
1: when, so there's no reason not to there's no reason to be embarrassed for going like, oh, yeah, this is this stuff is complex. But it's digestible. I just have to continue to remember to you know, like polish each level of the ladder. So I can see it when I'm climbing back down in the dark. Oh,
0: yeah. Explain it to me like I'm five is the ultimate test of if you really understand something. If you can explain it to someone like they're five, you understand it. And if you can't, like, I can't tell you how many, like in in my role, like uh, doing educational initiatives, it's always the dirt, simple questions that just knock me on my ass. Like, Mm -hmm. well, gee, I don't actually know how to answer that because it's so fundamental. I've been assuming the, I've had underlying assumptions surrounding it for so long that I've really got to think about that for a minute.
1: Yes. A big one for me was, um, why is the CIE chromaticity diagram two dimensional when it's representing X, Y, Z values?
0: Oh God. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, so it's an abstraction, right? It's just, um, you know, X little X, little Y, little Z, they all equal one. Um, you actually have the information what Z is in that X, Y diagram, because you just take X and Y and subtract them from one and the leftover is Z. Um, but that is something that like there, I had like a major light bulb moment when I was like, Oh, it's normalized. Got it. Okay. And like it, I feel like I had asked that question of people before and it was like, we don't quite understand (laughs) that. I was like, well, it's the, you know, it's an XY, XY chromaticity diagram, what do you want? Um, I,
0: I think a really good example of finding an outer wrapper to like simply but succinctly explain a very complex subject is something I'm really excited to talk about. Your color compass, uh, color order system that uh, you, you published a paper on is in the simpty journal, right? In 2019?
1: Uh, it, was, so it was at the conference 2020 and it will be in an upcoming journal. I don't remember what month, um, gotcha. but I think it's, it's sometime between now and December.
0: <laughs> gotcha. I mean, so, so tell us a, a little bit about uh, the, the sort of like key uh, insights and, and concepts that, are, that we're going to find uh, in that uh, paper.
1: Yeah, um, so the color compass is, I call it color navigation system, so it's a little bit different than a color order system. A color order system is designed to refer to, uh, in most cases, absolute values. Mm-hmm. So Munsell would be the, the most famous um, color order system. Um, another old uh, classic one would be Oswald. Um, uh, and then, of course, um, uh, going actually actually... Uh, uh, the natural, uh, color order system. Um, another one. Um, and the, the point of all these systems is in, in in a lot of cases with these systems, the, the point is to specify like color chips for physical media manufacturing. So paint colors, textiles, that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, what I wanted to do was design a system, um, that allowed, uh, creatives to be, well, you know, I've gone on and on just now about like, oh, we shouldn't call just artists, creatives, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I wanted to design a system that allowed uh, uh, production folks, um, people that don't have a technical background, to talk about specific shifts. And I thought that this would be especially um, applicable in the world of HDR and multiple color uh, target Deliveries with multiple color targets. Um, so it's based on the idea of opponency, which is represented in a lot of um, uh, color spaces or color color schemes. Um, so C Lab, right? You have an A star and a B star axis. Um, what is you know approximately a, a green magenta axis and a yellow blue axis? Um, there are others too they're, they're different, like, right. Like they're, you know, some of them have, it's like the, the actual, uh, uh, polls would be, and, and by the way, the opponency part is, is based on, uh, human vision too. That's one of the reasons that anecdotally I have been told by folks at RIT that this is a reason why when they give, uh, participants in experiments, um, Color opponency uh, controls. They find that they're able to get pretty good matches. Um, again, it's anecdotal, but um, I still think is is pretty cool. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, if we think back to like um, uh, trichromacy um, theory of vision, right? Which is which is true. Red, green, and blue um, cones in your in your eyes. You got your. Uh, Red, green, and blue, so going backwards, long, long, medium, and short. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, cone responses, um, those, those responses put together give you a broad spectrum coverage of the visible spectrum. However, um, there was another theory of vision, um, which is a theory, and that is that uh, you have that yellow, blue, and green, um, green, red, um, you know, green, red, green, magenta. Um, well, in that version, it's green, red. Anyway, um, <laughs> these uh, so those signals, it's not – at so eventually those two um, models were combined, and we now understand that the opponency part of vision happens in your brain after the cones have collected all the spectral data and converted it into electrical signal. Um, it's put back together in your brain in terms of uh, red-green, yellow, blue, and then uh, uh, luminance as well. So uh, that's why it's such a powerful way of thinking, right? Um, this, you know, uh opponent-y thinking in terms of the practice as like a, 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 a craftsman or an artist that's, that's trying to describe, or even a QC professional too, that's trying to describe like, hey, I think this color is shifting a little bit. Because um, when we talk about and I, I organized this system mostly to talk about hue, um, because uh, you know when we talk about describing hue differences, I think the most common thing people say is like, oh, that's too warm or that's too cool.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but if you kind of circle back to this opponency idea where there's some, some, something close to a red-green or a magenta-green or a red-blue-green axis, um, uh, red is, is warmer than green. Um, most people would say. Um, mm-hmm. Yellow is warmer than blue, most people would say. Um, but then if you're able to kind of revise your thinking a little bit and, and change it from like, oh, it's just warmer or cooler, you know, like tungsten is warmer than daylight, 3,200 Kelvin to 5,600 Kelvin, you can um, address a little bit more nuance. So when somebody says like, hey, the skin tones are too warm, they might mean they look too gold and yellow and sallow, or they might mean they look too red and ruddy and blotchy. <laughs> um, so the the point of the system is to be able to point people in general vague terms, and that's why in the model, I have north, south, east and west, uh, like uh, like a compass. Um, and if you can imagine at um, uh, due north, that would be, you know, red-ish. Um, at west, you would have uh, yellowish. ish um, At south, you would have greenish, And at east, you would have blue-ish. Um, and again, the reason that it's vague and there are big terms like that is because in these specific models, which like, I d- you could just heard me a moment ago, be like, oh, I can't remember what this other one was or what the specific, yeah. you know, um, uh, uh, axes, those, spe- those specified colors are. Um, So in this world, it allows someone that's just viewing a picture to go like, hey, that's too north warm. I want it to be more west warm instead. Um, And it it seems to have been very helpful. I did some experiments um, in summer of um, 2020. Yeah. Yeah, summer of 2020. um, And I worked with uh, four different colorists. um, And the the way the experiments worked um, was that I had so i i created a i had a standard image that was just it was shot during the height of the pandemic um in tents in my front yard <laughs> um with um some you know color swatches and a, a variety of different skin tones as i think that's very important um when talking about these systems that are supposed to improve skin tones um mm-hmm. arguably one of the most important storytelling elements anyway side, side note um so uh i had uh these standard images shot, nothing fancy, just like debared according to manufacturer best practices. Um, and then I created basically um, some common six vector shifts. So I had an image with a red shift, a magenta shift, a blue shift, a cyan shift, so on and so forth. Um, and uh, what I did was I sent the standard image and the, what I called the, you know, artistic image, the creative interpretation, um, to some viewers and they had all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, I think, I don't remember how many viewers I had. It's been a while since i looked at the specifics, but anyway, I, I had them all describe in uh, freeform free form vocabulary what they thought the differences is, were between the standard image and the creative image. And then I also had them describe, I had them watch a short little intro video and read some instructions and then try and use the color compass to describe how they thought the images shifted. And then I sent those images and the instructions to four different colorists. And I was like, try, just try, get, tell me what you think. Like, here's the yeah. instructions. Just do what you think is right. And what I found was, um, uh, and I, so, and then I used actually a display difference metric to measure the differences that they ended up with between. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I used, um, uh, uh, Delta EITP.
0: like a delta
1: E yeah yeah Delta EITP um, to measure the difference between where the original creative image and then where the recreated um, creative image uh, where the difference was between those. And I found that uh, that 64% of the images um, the creative uh, the image using the color compass language had a smaller Delta EITP than the freeform vocabulary. So I did, you know, do some, some work to try and just make sure it was, it wasn't just like a (laughs) cool idea, a cool idea. You know, it's like, it's, I think it's a really like the, and the main difference um, between the system that I have and a mathematical model is like a mathematical model only needs three, dimensions to be three-dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> like, so anyway, like they only need three dimensions to adequately represent these colors, um, uh, mathematically. Um, but my system is four dimensions because I count. So we have the, the North, South, East, West of the compass. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's two dimensions, two axes, north, yeah. South, East, West. Um, and then I have an axis for, uh, uh brightness um and the i call that altitude so a darker image will call a lower altitude image and a brighter image will call a higher uh altitude image and uh the the fourth element is um
0: uh, chroma, chroma chroma saturation
1: uh yep whatever uh, expansion, that wa- expansion expansion contraction thank you <laughs> It's early. I haven't had a coffee. Yet. <laughs> so anyway, um, expansion contraction is the, is the fourth one. Um, but the, you know, the big difference between my system that's intended just for people talking, um, is the, is the fourth, um, the two different Q axes, um, which is not mathematically necessary for describing colors, but is, seems to be very helpful, um, in terms of actually describing, and I've used this clients too, by the way, I think this is like Again, it's all, like, it's all about skin tones for me, man. You know, like, it's yeah. all about, like, uh, you know, that's the most important piece of a picture is like, do the people look good? You know, do they, Make do the people they look good. like they're <laughs> healthy?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I, uh, I know this was your intention in, in sharing this system, but I, I have completely adopted it uh, in my work. And that, oh, that's, that's
1: rad. Awesome.
0: I mean, it's fascinating to hear the amount of like, the, I had no idea that you uh, conducted that level of uh, like experimentation and analysis to actually prove out, uh, you know, the, some of the ideas in there. But I, I knew the first time I read the paper when you were kind enough to share it with me that it was filling a really important sort of middle ground between like I've always felt this tension in my practice in terms of like discussing things with, as you mentioned, people who maybe don't necessarily come from a technical background or they're not working with images and thinking about red, green, and blue all day every day is like on one hand you have warm or cool and everybody understands and speaks that. But as you pointed out, that does not mean the same thing in different contexts or to yeah. different people.
1: yeah
0: and, and although everyone will tell you like that that's one of the go-to like Verbal cues that people will use of like, oh, it feels too cool Um, Mm -hmm. And then on the other side you have red green and blue where usually people will be less shy But even when they use like, oh, it's a little too green In my experience most people who aren't working in our world day in and day out may or may not actually be able to like To use your your analogy to navigate the, the 3d red green and blue space very well so they may say It's too red, but really it's too yellow, for example, Mm -hmm. or it's too green, but really it's too teal or cyan. So what's so great about your system is it fits so nicely in between those two things of like, we're going to be a little more specific and meaningful than warm, cool, but we're not going to ask you to navigate like the red, green, blue, uh, like full space, like without any compass or without any bearing. Uh, And I found it to be like so, so helpful for anyone who doesn't just sit at a, control surface and uh paint images all day long it's such a I'm such a so well idea
1: thank you i'm really glad to hear that i'm i'm yeah i have i think it's um like i said you know the system was designed that it's not you know even even the brightness element calling that altitude um for you know low light images versus higher light images um because you know brightness and lightness are two different things right fullness and chrominance are two different things and I get confused about this vocabulary and I study it like all the time. I'm like literally thinking about it all day and I still like have to stop and be like, "Mm, lightness is the relative one. Yeah. Brightness is the absolute one. Yeah. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. That's (laughs) so, you know, like it, Every time it's like some people have a hard time with left and right. <laughs> some people, you know, yeah. the, the, or, or what starboard and port, like you're not going to remember that unless you're driving the boat every day. So it's just intended as a system to help people that don't drive the boat tell you where they want to go because that is important because in terms of the taste, there is no right answer. You know, right. you know if somebody says, that's too, if a client says to me, that's too warm, i don't like you know that doesn't feel like it's sunset feels like it's sunrise i'm like yeah okay um and then i do the other finding from the paper was asking questions about the area that they're referring to is incredibly helpful like well i you know i i don't again this is like one experiment with four colorists so this is all small scale data points um but i did find Another part, another possibility for the reason in the improvement between the Delta Es um, is between the freeform instructions uh, and the um, uh, color compass instructions. I ask people to talk about talk about the skin tone now, talk about yeah. the um, talk about the background, talk about the the colored lights that you see in the frame. So I think that that's the other. Um, I I hope that's another big takeaway. Um, For anybody that uses it, it's like, oh, ask questions, like, really, just like, you know, if somebody tells you that's too warm, ask, do you mean north warm or or west warm? Um, And then you can get um, clarification and just move closer to what they want, because, you know, that it is a funny job being a colorist, because like, we're doing, we're doing all these like, artistic ideas, but Ultimately, I mean, I don't feel like it's my place to make decisions. That's what the photographers do, and that's what the showrunners do. And my place is to make the best version of what they want. Um, so I have no business saying like that's not what a warm day should should look like. I have I have my my business is to find out what type of warm day they want. Uh, they're trying they're trying to communicate, and then we go do that.
0: That leads me to a really interesting question. So. In in that on that subject of like ultimately being an interpreter rather than like an arbiter of uh, the Mm -hmm. the creative vision uh, or or the way an image should go, do you like when you're sitting in there and 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 you're you're working on a grade for uh, a show or a film or whatever you're working on, do you have a take in your back pocket? In case like like you're asked or you feel like there's no direction and it needs to be given some, or are you really just kind of flowing with uh, what you're handed what what is that? Is there any kind of like balance there for you of like bringing a take versus just being a, uh, a a guide to other people's vision?
1: My take more than anything is to before anyone has sat down, try and make every single edit point disappear, so that scene is just smooth like butter, and I am so organ the way i I work, I am so fastidious i like my stuff to be organized i know where all of my trims are gonna go i know where any modeling that i'm gonna put on top of you know any shapes that i did just to correct somebody getting out outside of their light or whatever that is that is that is my um that is how i do it is like i have i paint i i get in there and to be non-destructive you know like d- read the negative properly. Um, set up a smooth as butter experience, um, hopefully from, you know, shot one to shot end. And then whatever choices that they want to make on top of that, it's like a dance. Like, it's like, oh, well, let's try this. Let's try that. That's that's what allows me to be so flexible and feel like, Oh, it's such an organic. Wow. This room is like, it's just so fun to just paint all day. And it's like, yeah, because I, you know, really hauled ass before you got here. That's, that's how I do it. It's like,
0: oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. It's like woman behind the curtain, you know, pay no attention. I don't, you know, I, I want it to feel easy in the way that hap- I want the, the exploration of the, the, you know, color palette to feel easy. And the way I do that is by, um, not letting anybody see my little duck feet, you know, <laughs> shake under the water.
0: <laughs> well, that's, I, I feel like a, a lesson that I, I hear over and over again from all the colorists who I, I admire and get the chance to ask about their craft is that thing of like work hard behind the scenes so that it can all be easy when yeah. everybody's in the room together.
1: Yep. And then it's just fun, you know, like I don't, I, I don't find that, um, th- that when somebody's like, mm, that look is like not you know, I want to try something else. Um, I don't find that stressful at all. Um, because it's like, oh, great. Like, you know, a, a new idea that we can that we can try here together. Um, you know, that the, the process of iterating is not, uh, it's not, you know, it is it is always nice beforehand, when you get uh, a chance in pre production to be like, this is the look, this is the intention, like, this is, we're going into this, production design is working with this palette too, this is what we want to preserve. Um, but, you know, I think that that's pretty common that most people are, I I, I, I hope more and more departments are, are like, we're, listen, listen, this is dur- the direction that we want to move this whole giant endeavor, and everybody walk together.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Well, I mean that leads me to uh, another question. I was dying to ask you about your process for when you are when you do get uh, productions in ahead of time, uh, prior to like, all right, we got to master the images and get them out the door. Like when you get a little bit of lead time to develop something, what does your look development process look like?
1: Yeah, um, I do spend a lot of time sitting and staring um, I, before anybody gets in. I do. I do like to have a couple of different options. Um, you know, I think before it usually starts with like the DP, we're just, we just talk on the phone um, about, or in person. Do <laughs> you remember that in person? Um,
0: yeah. Those
1: days. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, and, you know, saying like, uh, this is, you know, this is the type of, I love hearing what type of lensing people are using um, because I think that's really helpful to know like, hey, we think this glass is beautiful and it's the right speed um, but it's a little too clean so if we could do something about that or like hey we I really like the sensor because of how sensitive it is but like again like I want it to feel a little more a little dirtier or like this this is an old vintage lens and like we're this we want it in our kit so we want this to match um, knowing that like knowing those things those big choices about Uh, the whole, the imaging system, the whole imaging system, um, I think is really, that's, that's, like, kind of where it starts, Um, and then hopefully, too, it's awesome to get, like, lookbooks that's, like, here's the feeling that we're going for, because I think that those, um, less, those, like, really amorphous (laughs) words about, like, here's what I want you to feel, I've heard this, like, great um, Neil deGrasse Tyson quote, where he's talking about, like, you know, when it comes to artists, like, if you're painting a picture of like you know a uh, space uh, uh an event horizon say like the an event horizon of a black hole like i don't really know, want to know what it actually looks like i want to know what it feels like and yeah. so I, like i love notes like that too um and then so once we've had that conversation um and you know there's decisions too about like what what codec are they going to shoot and like what like i said what what sensor did they put what, what camera body they, they picked um uh when we get into setting a look um before a show uh you know there's a question of are they going to have a dit on set and often usually the answer is yes um so in some cases we will just give them our um uh we're very open about that at arsenal where it's always like oh you want our our color transform you got it like you can put cdls on top of it like that's awesome um but when it comes to developing a specific look I like to, um, you know, I like to, hopefully I have a camera test um, that I can work on a little bit um, bef- before five people come in to, to sit down and all, all share their pressing thoughts. Um, I like, usually I like having like around four options <laughs> of, um, uh, you know, here's, you know, here's what I think is appropriate for the story. Here's a version that's very different than that. You know, here's, uh, and then here's a couple of versions that are kind of, Plays off of the same topic, um, like uh, you know, like if it's a softer, a uh, love story, for example, or a family drama, or something like that. I might want to uh, start with something um, that I think is appropriate for that uh, emotional tone in terms of contrast, and then um, I, I just, uh, I, I feel like I've got you know a lot of different building blocks to start from. Um, and that way when they come in, um, I can, I, I don't like to show people a whole bunch of options, like just one after another, because I feel like it confuses folks. i like to hear again from people with their words, like, what were you thinking here? Like, what do you, yeah. you know, what's your, what do you feel like is most appropriate? And usually you'll get a pretty good description. People will be like, well, like really snappy and like, a really, you know, really intense, like gritty or like. Um, I want this to feel like a street photographer took it and you're like okay all right so what is and then from there I usually like as they're describing like you know they come in they sit down it's like they're describing kind of what they like and I'm like okay cool and th- at that point I can usually pick the one that I think is like the, the closest starting point point. and I like to just let them talk and you know jam on it for a little while and see if I can um, come up with something that's even better um, based on how they direct me. I like, I like being able to just react. Um, it, it's like jazz. <laughs> so yeah.
0: Sad. That's so cool. And in terms of, and you, you remind me you're on Luster, is that right?
1: I am. We just switched to resolve.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: I had been on Luster for the last, um, while, long time. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've used Resolve previously and light and back to Resolve. So we're back into that color set, uh, tool set. And, uh, you know, to me, they're just, they're all, I feel like I'm going to make a lot of people mad, but they're just, you know, it's just tools. Like Just show me where the operations. gearbox is, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I, I, I need the trackballs and like I need some nuance when it comes to adjusting tone. Uh, I prefer that to not be with a curve. Usually I like having different you know, um, uh, uh, knob adjustments instead. And that's, um, uh, you know, that's it with whichever one stays stable and, uh, you know, lets me, lets me play back well and allows me to have, uh, uh, Oh, allows me to organize my tools in a very specific shape. Um, that was like the first thing that I did was like, okay, I need a node tree. What do I want this to look like? <laughs> yes. So, um, because in Luster, it's very, um, you know, you had your 48, uh, uh, secondaries and they're always in the same place. So it's very easy to be incredibly efficient. Um, yeah. and then resolve it's like, well, what do you mean? I could put this anywhere and I don't, it doesn't always like, it's not always labeled this and wow. So that was the first thing I did. And that switch was just to be like, I, 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 I need my plan. Thank you. You
0: That's, need your sandbox. You need to yeah. find uh, <laughs> workspace. Yeah. Totally makes sense. And I'm curious to, I want to come back to resolve if we have time, but I I was also curious to ask in terms of like the implementation of the overall look as you are cultivating it uh, with the creative stakeholders, what form does that end up taking? You mentioned, uh, you know, using trackballs and kind of primaries adjustments, but are you at the end of it? Like when you do sort of slot the components of your look into Rory's hyper-organized node tree, what are those pieces? Is it like a creative contrast curve, like a creative gamut of sorts? Like what, what are, what are the concepts and like the implementations that end up ultimately arising from that look dev process?
1: Um, It really depends on the look. Um, But I like a clean primary grade. Honestly, I just think just to, just to keep a good, uh, and I don't mean clean, like no color bias. I just like the, I mean I want my primary grade to be, um, as simple and effective as possible. That's where, that's where it really starts for me. It's just like good lift gamma gain, good balance. Um, not, you know, not a lot of, um, I don't like to, uh, swing curves around until like, I feel like I've just let the image be itself, um, before I start distorting stuff. Um, I, you know, I mean, I feel like there's certain things that are pretty, pretty common in terms of people wanting to stay filmic and not so digital, um, you know, video grain still a thing, for example, And <laughs> like, yeah. you know, not wanting blues to be too punchy on, on the Venice, that seems to be pretty common. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, my, my actual tree where my, where my, you know, and it, it like, if there's a, if there's like a wash or a split tone thing, there may be it may be a couple of different nodes that are, are layers where the, the, the adjustment is is kind of built in different pieces for the sake of order of operations. Like, well, I want to um, I want to roll the highlights warm, but I want to keep them not not so clippy, but I don't want to, you know, the, the order of like whether I'm gonna do like a soft clip before I introduce warmth into highlights could, could vary depending on what the, the goal is. Um, sure. And then there's always uh, the my color my work are at Arsenal. We're always in a uh, a log based workflow. You know, uh, it's something that is akin to having an output transform um, that's been built that has a counterpart and a, a bit easy to swap out to make the transition to HDR easy peasy. So right. that's always a part of it, no matter what. That the out making sure the output transforms you know correct is always a part of it.
0: And yeah, so you're, you're. has been designed. Sure. So you're always like color managed, working in a nice, big, wide gamut, wide dynamic range uh, working space, and then targeting your yep. uh, intended display.
1: Yep. That's it. <laughs>
0: that's the jam. Yeah, that's the yeah. jam. Oh, how cool. Well, I have, I, I mean, I, I could talk for three more hours, but I, I wanted to at least touch on. Another uh, paper you published uh, called "Beyond Better Pixels," where you were talking about the perceptual and emotional sort of like ramifications of HDR, which is also like a, a very great distillation of a very big complex subject. I wonder if we could talk about that for a minute. If you just tell us, kind of like, what are the what are the what's the TLDR of your uh, HDR paper?
1: Yeah, TLDR, uh, the input that you put into a function um, determines what kind of effect the function is going to have on the whole project that's it like that's that's the short version is like what i discovered um yeah we had three uh, that paper had uh, there were three shows um in production roughly the same time um they were all using the same output transform um so you know and again like the output transform uh is both a very creative part of the process and also a very standard thing, right? Like if yeah. you have one that you, if you have a transform that you're like, Oh, I can really reliably repeat, repeatedly and reliably. That's the thing I'm always saying. Can I do it repeatedly and reliably. Um, if I have an adjustment that can make these shows stylistically look different easily with the same output transform, let's, we're going to do it. Like if it, we like the way it's, you know, it's a uh, archiving well and it's, it's um, it's, it's, handling tone mapping well, then yeah, let's just keep with it. Um, but anyway, um, I, I had uh, three, we had three shows that were all using the same output transform, um, all delivering an HDR pass and an SDR pass. I measured the key side of the face to the fill side of the face in both SDR and HDR for each show. And what I found was, um, depending on the, uh, uh, the contrast ratio of the show, that affected what the transform process did to the uh, to to the skin tone um, on a per show basis. So, for example, if you have a really bright image of somebody like flying through the sky, um, you might have an image with really hot, you know, like say um, I don't know, um, it's like a, a really you know sun blasting on their face, like. 60 IRE or something like that on the key side and 50 IRE on the fill side. Um, If you go to HDR, you might have an instance where both the key side and the fill side of the face get brighter. Meanwhile, if you have, you know, kind of more like a traditional uh, half moon, you know, modeling situation where it's a little bit more, um, it's a little more contrast, you might have by doing that HDR transform process the key side of the face might get brighter and the fill side might get darker so in that case you may have um, a higher contrast ratio there Um, and then in a a low key setting you might have say a really intimate scene with somebody at a candlelit table you might have the, the key side of the face and the fill side of the face if they're on the really low side, you might find that both of those values get darker in HDR. Because one thing that people forget is that, you know, we have brighter, we have, we have, yes, we have a higher um, uh, peak luminance level, but also darker shadows. Um, That's, that's the thing that can be so powerful is that you can end up with higher contrast uh, in a lower light image um, just because of uh, like, statistically there's more, there's more contrast in a deeper shadow and a a mid-tone value than there would be between like two very bright highlights, like a a high highlight and then like a slightly less high highlight next to each other. Um, so that's not TLDR at all, but anyway, the, the, the real discovery was that like, uh, you know, you can really, um, what the, 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 the starting image, the starting signal that you are working with, Um, is going to change your pipeline. So you better pick a pipeline that's appropriate for your starting image.
0: Man, (laughs) I I have to tell you, like, when I, like, kind of groped my way into a a much fuzzier version of that realization a couple years ago of, like, wait, so you're telling me that within this, like, idealized, like, color-managed target whatever display you're headed to and don't worry about matching cameras or displays nearly as much as in the good old display referred tell days within that realm. There's actually, as you just pointed out, like a huge, like creative subjective component to the output transform. And like it can change the character of what is actually rendered visible, uh, based on what we pipe through it. And that may require altering one or both of those components in order to achieve what we want. Like, man, that's a little overwhelming.
1: Yep. That's I think that's how you really see like a badass expert in the field of HDR is that there's someone that's like comfortable sitting here in all the swimming chaos that is different <laughs> surrounds and different displays and different shows and they're like, Well guess what? I gotta deal with all of it all of it. So, you know, I'm here to do it. Like I'm here, I'm surfing. Yeah, I'm just like that's how the people that are like you know, just comfortable with the uncertainty of cosmic tumblers. Like, you know what? There's, what are you gonna? It's That's just a chaotic universe. That's how you know you're really good at it. If you're just like, yeah, it's chaos. Oh man, I I, I you're think hurt. you're right. I,
0: I had another uh, a, a a colorist friend uh, mention uh, the other day that like they've I think their own expression of what you just said of like just getting comfortable with uh, all of that uncertainty of saying like yeah like the days of like that's my show like what I'm looking at on this display in this room right now that's my show it's not really a thing anymore it's like that's one portal into my show like there's a lot of different there's a spectrum that my show occupies in terms of like the different screens and viewing conditions that it's in and yeah I'm trying to like give a meaningful lens into it in all of those environments but the days of like here is the show uh I I think those may be behind us
1: yeah, I use the phrase relational color a lot. Is that I want the relationships of color within the frame to be meaningful, no matter what the display that someone's looking at it are. Right. And I want the I want it to be good decisions about like is this person's skin tone too green for this environment? Um, that that's the I feel like those are the types of de- decisions that are most translatable given the chaos of the viewing options for the end user.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And it's, it's so funny because I, you know, one of the fun aspects of uh, getting ready for this conversation with you. So I was like, Oh, let's like, I've, I've seen uh, a lot of your work before, but like, let's do a refresh. Like, let's check out counterpart. And I put it on like in my, you know, I've got my nice displays uh, in uh, my workspace, but down in the living room, I'm like every other American, like maybe I've got a slightly uh, better tuned system, but I don't know, it's not calibrated display. So I'm like, mm-hmm. let's put it on. And relational color is a great way to describe that. Like, I as a professional can still put on whatever the piece of content is and be like, oh, this was, th- this went through the shop of a very skilled practitioner, or like, oh, this person wasn't there, you know? And like, I can watch Counterpart or any of your other work. And while you would probably like, grimace looking at that compared to what the image that you mastered, the relational color still holds up. Like there's a strong enough foundation there and emphasis on the right priorities such that the images still work in that suboptimal viewing environment
1: yeah i think really the only place where people get like truly fucked up is when you have multiple displays next to each other like if god like i like when i went back when we used to go to bars in the olden days you know (laughs) you go to a happy hour and there'd be like three screens like in the in the bar or whatever that type of thing still makes my teeth just like it's like it's it's hard because it's like i don't know where to look and like (laughs) you know any it's that, that type of thing I think is worse um, than you know a display that's a little bit off because you have mechanisms in your brain yeah, compensating eyes, your mechanisms. that are gonna you know help you a little bit. like and I, I also think that some of those mechanisms can be used as a creative tool, for example, chromatic adaptation. So if you have like a really cool scene and then you really want to you know a hard cut um, going into the next scene, Warm by virtue, depending on how cool, you know, how yes. saturated your eyes, your cones were, um, it may be like whoa, like an extra shock to your system because of the chromatic adaptation, the, the, um, the, the, uh, you know, re, um, releveling. I'm forgetting the right word. Um, that's a, you know. I
0: I, I uh, never knew it, but I know exactly what. I know you're it's right on
1: the tip of my tongue. <laughs> so, like, sorry, any color scientists listening. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Did you happen to read that? There was that recent article in in Wired about uh, the way Pixar uh, leverages uh, image science and uh, I think the exact mechanism that we're talking about in uh, the way they design the color and and their films and the way they grade them.
1: I have listened to Dominic um, before and I have, um, I do remember hearing uh, a piece about, I think it's Inside Out is the one where in HDR they use the bright like as the, as the, it's like in the beginning of, sorry, spoilers, but like as you're watching the movie and the kid is being born, you go from like dark to like a full on signal as like a, like a, like a very physiological experience. Um, Yeah. And I think that's just so cool. I think that's very creative. It's funny because I think that the, you know, the HDR world, it's like extremely exciting. Um, But also I think that the types of decisions that are really, exciting are subtler like that. Like you're not gonna blow people's eyeballs out with birth light unless you have a birth scene. Like that's right. appropriate. But like in a lot of cases it's just like, oh this is more, you know, this 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 is uh, really this is just gonna hold up in a greater variety of surrounds more than anything else. Because like that's that's the dream for me. It's like, you know, I want kids watching YouTube rehashes of counterpart or or in treatment or or whatever show on YouTube, on their phones, on the bus, to be like, yeah, this is a cool looking show. I'm gonna go home and watch the rest of it. Like That's what I want. It's like, the, I think, cause that's that's the magic of, of TV, of episodic and streaming. It's like the democratization of these like great long form stories that I really, I really dig it.
0: Oh, for sure. Well, you just led me to uh, the last question I, I wanna ask you before I give you your day back about, where are we going with all this stuff? Like, do, do you have a perspective on like where we are in the history of motion imaging and where it's going from here?
1: No, I'm just a pixel pusher. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I work mean, here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't find that I can like think about a question. Well, I mean like, I guess that's not exactly true. Like the reason, the whole reason I designed the color compass is like, cause it was like, I just want people to be able to talk better. You know, yeah. I, honestly, I think the next, um, I would imagine that, and it is already a thing, um, is like ambient light sensors. I've always thought that if they're, because you know, uh, uh, field of view changes your perception of contrast and saturation and brightness as well. So I've also thought that it would be really badass if someday there's some metadata tag that can include like the size of my mastering display and describe the relationship between, like, okay, so I was watching on a, a whatever inch mastering display. And this person is watching on a projector. Like, so here's the whatever equation, the function that's going to describe how much contrast needs to increase to keep the get that relationship the same as what I'm viewing in the Bay. I think that'd be Oh, yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah, get um, get some of those like observer formulas. Into yeah,
1: it. somebody do that, please. I think that'd be really
0: cool.
1: Um, <laughs> but in terms of the uh, creative part, like, you know, no, I think I, 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 I like to do is I just... Uh, you know i i do hope that the trend of more and more diverse storytellers being able to tell more and more different looking stories is um i think that's incredibly value on like a human level that's yeah. what that's what excites me um i hope that you know i do hope that onset monitoring onset in hdr continues to be um accessible to folks i think that that like revealing some of the flaws in high-end values is really really useful to uh, photographers and it gives them more control so i'm all about that but you know i just want more just a continuous flood of shows more shows more stories more people telling the stories more people that you know don't look like us that look like <laughs> not just you know more more diversity of folks in charge i think that's that's exciting too. And also, again, a thing that I think could be helped by HDR is, represent, you know, subtle representations of difference, not in just um, values of skin tones, like, you know, darker or lighter, or medium or whatever, but undertones too, because I think that that, that conversation can kind of get shortchanged sometimes. Um, and I think it's uh, really special when you get to really d- dive deep into, like, the specifics of stories and people and what makes them look the best.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like that's maybe the most exciting, like fertile territory when you're doing an HDR masters, like what are we going to do? Like actually still in or near that hundred knit area, but like, what are we going to do in there that we just couldn't do in an SDR paradigm? Uh, And uh, specifically when it comes to representation and like getting, getting different, uh, you know, like, faces and, and hues and like contrast ratios and all these kind of things in, in terms of the way that we depict people, there's so much more room for doing interesting things than, uh, has been done traditionally in SDR.
1: Yeah. Subtle, but expansive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, Rory, I want to thank you so much for a, a really exciting conversation and for, uh, being, a, like teaching me a bunch of new stuff in this conversation and a bunch of stuff, prior to, and I'm sure I'm going to continue to learn from you. So I'm I'm just very grateful to count you as a peer and uh, get to chat with you uh, about all of this exciting color stuff.
1: Yeah. It's, it's uh, super fun. You may see me, Chiming in on some of the forums with, I'm learning lab right now because I'm trying to like really get into like, God, so how does this work? This matrix. Math?
0: <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> jealous. A... You're beating me to it. So, I want to get there too.
1: Yeah. You know, it's really hard. <laughs> I, also, I have a very demanding full-time job, so it's going very slowly, but uh, you know. It's good to ask questions. It's good to be curious about things that don't immediately pay off.
0: <laughs> oh, it sure is. that That's the, the the best parting advice I could think of. Let's keep asking difficult questions and, and being patient with uh, unrooting the answers.
1: Yes, and painting too. You should come out plein air sometime. Yes. Oh, total flip side.
0: <laughs> oh my God. That's a whole other conversation about your, your, your color time and all of your other was like incredibly interesting, uh, like sort of side pursuits that are still related to color. Like we could have a whole other chat about that stuff. I'm sure I want to hear more.
1: Yeah. It's, it's fun stuff. It's yeah. relaxing.
0: <laughs> Maybe for the next one. Yeah. Thank you so much Rory. have a, a, a great uh, rest of your day and I'm sure we'll speak again very soon.
1: Thank you. You too. See you later. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. Bye-bye.